Thank you, Jesus. Wow, wow, wow. Right now, I just activate your spirits right now to lead you this morning. I, I just bless your spirits and I just say, spirits, you're in charge today. Brain, you're taking a back seat. We, we, we're not turning you off completely, but you're taking a back seat. You need to catch up. We activate those spirits right now. I activate my own spirit right now to lead me. Whoa, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Whoa, God. If you want to just turn to Mark uh, chapter 6. So, and we're just going to start at the beginning um, at verse 1. So Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any more any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. I um a little a little while ago I was um I was out for a walk at um on my lunch break and I felt like um I didn't really have anything specific, but I felt like God had told me to go down uh the Euston Road in London, down towards the sort of King's Cross uh, area of it. And um I, I went down there, and there's kind of a few little, little parks dotted around there. And there was one where um, there were some people there, and I, I started getting some words of knowledge for them. And um, every time I spoke to somebody, they were just completely shut down. They did, even though I had a word of knowledge, like one of them, I had a word of knowledge for pain in his kidneys, and um, he turned out that he did have pain in his kidneys, cause he had, and he had diabetes. Um, but even though I was having these words of knowledge that were accurate, that n- nobody wanted to engage with me at all. And by the end, after a while, I was running out of lunchtime, so I had to. I was actually a little bit away from my office, so I had to head back. And it, I'm, you know, you're starting to think, did I just did I just get that wrong today? Did I did I just miss that and end up in the wrong place? And so I'm having to sort of power walk on my way home, semi kind of run, because I'm actually going to be late otherwise. And um, and I go past this lady selling the big issue. And uh, she, she says, oh, have you got any, um, any money? And I was like, I'm, I haven't got anything on me. And she goes, what? Or even anything to eat. I'm just desperately hungry. And uh, so we were actually near um, this cafe. And um, I was like, oh, I'm going to be late. I was like, all right, all right, I'll cook it, I can get you a sandwich. So I, I ran in there and got a sandwich. And I brought it out and gave it to her. And um, she, she was like, oh, no. <laughs> when I gave it to her, I was like, oh, okay. That's not really the reaction I was expecting. But um, She goes, oh, I'm allergic to this one. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. She goes, oh, it's okay. They'll, they'll probably let me in, and I can probably change it for something. And I was thinking, yeah, or, or not, potentially. But So I was like, okay, look, let's go in together, and we'll do it together. So we go in there together, and we choose a... No, oh, before we go in there, sorry, I'm missing key parts of the story out. So we're walking in there, and as we're walking in there, I said to her, do you have a, a pain here just above your, your left, just above your left hip? Not your left hip, but just above it on your left side. And she was like, yeah, I do. And I was like, she's like, how do you know that? I was like, 
oh, God told me because he's, he's healing it right now. And she was like, what? She was like, God would do that. And I was like, yeah, he really, really loves you. And, um, and I was like, check it out and start moving around. She was like, oh yeah, that, that is feeling better. And I was like, I don't know what it is. I've got nothing specific, but I just, there's really, there's something about your family and your, chil- your children or your or child. I said, there's, I really feel like God's saying something about them right now. There's something um, really special about them he wants to say right now. And it just felt like I was saying like nothing, basically. But she was like, ah, oh, thanks. And um, she was still encouraged by it. So then we went in and swapped the sandwiches over. And as I was at the counter paying for the, the difference between the two, um, I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. I'm just like, thanking God. And then suddenly I turned around to her and I said, who's Sophia? All I'm hearing is that God loves Sophia. And she just starts breaking down, tears. That's my daughter. My daughter's called Sophia. And she got completely, she was like right in the middle of it. And you could just feel the presence of God just right in the middle of that place. She was like completely, she was like, she, and then she was on the phone to someone. She was like, I can't, I can't believe it. He, he, he knows, he knows Sophia's name and all this kind of stuff. And, um, she ended up recommitting her life to God right there. And it, it, the amazing thing about it is that, if it had been anything else, it wouldn't have impacted her in the same way. Because the, where she was at, the only thing that she was really thinking about was her daughter. And if God spoke to her about anything else, it probably wouldn't have had the same impact. But the fact that God knew that the thing that was on her heart more than anything right now was the well-being of her daughter, like, completely messed her up. But why, why, do, why do I share that? Well, today, I want to talk about offence. And what I want to do is I want to expose it as a strategy, because that's what it is. Offense is a strategy from the enemy that is he uses to de- derail people from the plans that he has, God has for their life. And that story, there were two different kinds of people. You know, people, people experienced God, and they, they, there were different reactions, different choices that people made. And that's what happens when something happens to us that we maybe aren't expecting, don't have a grid for, maybe aren't comfortable with, we can generally choose one way or another way. And that lady chose to accept it and receive what God was doing, and it changed her life. Now, there are times in life when we're all faced, in, faced with a decision, and it's kind of a, a bit of a line in the sand sort of moment, where we can choose to believe something about someone or something else. And... It, will, it can be a defining moment, a critical moment in our lives. I um, recently, um, well, a little while ago, was asked by Bethel Church to kind of give them some, share some testimonies with them for a book that they're publishing. And it really got me to reflect on, like, the last few years of my life. And actually, since we've got back from uh, being, being at Bethel, which was, we came back in 2013, um, in that time, what we've seen God do. You know, we've seen amazing things. We've seen a raising from the dead. We've seen new sections of limb formed in people's bodies. Metal dissolved in people's bodies. Money appear out of thin air. This is like God, what God is doing right now. And, uh, and then I was just thinking about Eastgate and what God is doing here. Like in the time that we've been at here, which is not that long, really, I think the, ch- the size of the church has like doubled. And then we've got all these ministries coming out of Eastgate, like Heaven in Healthcare and Living Fire. You know, what God's doing here is amazing. And it's a story, it's really, this is a story of acceleration. It's a story of acceleration and momentum 
of what, what God is doing here. But one of the things I've realized about acceleration, when, and when you're part of an environment of acceleration, is acceleration is an amazing catalyst for offense. It is an amazing catalyst for offense. There's, it creates loads of opportunities for offense. Um, now, the reason for that is when you're part of a culture that is always moving forward, things are always changing. Now, if you're somebody like me, you might say, I like change. Great. But what I've realized is there are two types of change. There's change that I make happen or help make happen. And then there's change that happens to me. And I'm not so good with the change that happens to me because I'm not in control then. And that's, that's a little bit more disconcerting sometimes. The reason we don't like that is because it threatens us. It's, it's messing with our life and our plans for our life. It's a loss of control. And that can be a real trigger for offense. It's basically our kind of status quo, our normal, our version of the world that we're okay with is suddenly getting changed by another outside force. Now, at face value, that often can look like it's all about facts. You know, if you're, you're faced with a situation where you could take offense, it feels like it's about facts sometimes. Did that person do this? Or did they mean that? Did they really do that to, to me or to so-and-so? Is that really what they meant? But it's actually, it's not about facts at all. It's not about what did or didn't happen or right or wrong. It's actually about people. It's about relationships and it's about hearts. Do you trust them? Do you think their hearts are guided by the right things? Do you think their motives are right? It really is about relationship. And because it's about relationship, ultimately that means it's about unity as well. It's a, this is a, an attack on unity. And the relation thing is really important because when you're faced with offense, very, very rarely do you have the full picture of what's going on, I've noticed, in my life. You don't know the whole story. Often you just have a partial glimpse of what's going on. And that's, that's the story of that, that passage that we just looked at. They, they thought they knew all of Jesus, but they actually just knew one part of Jesus. For him, for them, he was still the carpenter, the carpenter's son. So based on what they thought about him, they made judgments and assumptions about him. And then they were con- confronted with something radically different, and they couldn't, they couldn't handle it. The thing is, we're, we're all going to get offended sometimes. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that. It's actually healthy to acknowledge that. Let's not pretend that we're perfect and nothing offends us. It's, it's building up an expectation and a standard that is impossible to, to hit, I think. But the question is, when it happens to us, what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? That's the question. I think about my life as, you know, people probably know me as for someone who kind of sees miracles a lot and activates other people in miracles. And it's, it's tempting to, when you, when you see people like that, to think that, oh, they're just one of those people. You know, they're just one of those people. They, you know, maybe when they were a baby, the, the heavens opened and a dove flew out and all of that kind of stuff. But... Very rarely is that the case. I actually sometimes wonder if when, when it does happen like that, before, when they're like a baby or something like that, maybe it's because they're even more clueless than the rest of us. 
God's like, that person, if I don't open the heaven and send a dove or something like that, they are never going to get it. I have to make it really obvious. Um, not that I don't want them to make it really obvious for me. It's all good. Um, but for me, it has, that, that wasn't really my path. It wasn't my journey. I have had like, lots of amazing encounters with God. But actually, you know, really, the thing for me, one of the things that defined my life has actually been my a pursuit of the things that offended me a lot of the time. And sometimes the people that offended me as well. And that's often where some of my greatest breakthroughs have come from. Um, so I mentioned before that we were at Bethel for a while. When we were there, um, I got to know a guy called Chuck Parry, who some of you will obviously know. He's been here before. Um, but I remember the first time I met Chuck. Um, I was doing uh, Chris Gore's um, healing class. And he's the director of, um, kind of prayer ministry now. Um, at Bethel. And um, there was one week where he was away on a ministry trip. So Chuck took over his class. I remember I was just sat at the back and this like chaos causing whirlwind of a kind of Santa Claus type guy just came in the room and caused mayhem and just was just laughing the whole time and talking about drunkenness. And basically nothing else happened there. And I was like, what is going on? I was like, what is going on? I did not have a, a grid for this at all. And I was, I was just thinking, I'm, I feel offended. You're offending me. And it was like, I could just feel something coming up against me that I just, ah, I didn't feel good about. But I don't know why, what happened, but something happened at the end of that class. I just thought, I walked out there and I was just, I was that sat, stood outside. I was like, I need to get to know him. I, I want to hang around with him. He, he's, he's got something that I need. And I remember I sat down with my um, pastor there a few weeks later, and I said the same thing to him, and he goes, I think you're right. And I, Chuck, if you know him, he's somebody who's known for, really, one thing that he carries, I guess, is the kind of the limitlessness of God and the kingdom, and living in that, and being able to kind of impart that to other people. And I don't have time to go through all the stories now, but through that kind of like getting to know him and friendship with him, my whole life and our whole life as a family completely changed. Like the level of miraculous that we got to see God do in our lives was really significantly down to that. See, how you respond to offense, it will define your life in lots of ways. I think it can either propel you forward or it can really hold you back. I actually have a hunch that sometimes it can even be the, that final test that's given to you to, to check whether you're ready to step into your destiny or not, whether you're mature enough to step into the thing that you, you were made to do. I, I, um, so for my job, I work in um, the creative industry. So um, I work for an advertising agency, and um, I'm like the creative director, which means I lead the creative teams in, in London and uh, now in, also in San Francisco and Singapore. Um, but before I was kind of doing that role, and I was kind of more the kind of one of the writers and creators myself, I, I got to this point in my life where I realized I wasn't, for, for a while, I wasn't really progressing. And, and I realized why it was. See, when you're doing a creative job, anyone who does a creative thing will realize that that is a great, that is another great environment for getting offended. Um, because basically you put a lot of yourself 
into something, right? And then you give it to somebody else who's completely detached from it. And they're like, yeah, it's rubbish. Change that, change that, or just change the whole thing. Go back and do it again. And you're like, ah, okay. You just, you feel like your heart just got ripped out and stamped and yeah, get on with it. No big deal. And somebody just rips it to shreds. And I realized I was getting offended. But it came to a point where I said, it, it did occur to me at one point, it took me a while to get there, that because I was reacting out of offense, it was holding me back so much because that was becoming the focus of my energy. See, rather than kind of leaving these interactions and thinking, okay, how can I make my work better? I was actually just trying to, my whole mind was just geared at trying to justify and defend what I'd already done. That's where all my energy was going on, my focus. I was putting all my energy into protecting that first thing I'd created, as if that was somehow miraculously perfect every time. It was, stop, it was actually stopping me from, from improving. And I think that when, the thing is, the, the whole me being offended was blinding me to even see whether the criticism was good or not. You know, it doesn't mean that the feedback was always right, but I couldn't even see that because I was just totally close to it. I think we can sometimes do the same in church. Something offends us and we focus our energy on protecting the thing that we don't want changed. When actually maybe the whole experience, as messy and as uncomfortable it is, is actually an invitation from God for us to grow, to become more mature in Christ. I think the thing about offended is it is a choice. Being offended is a choice. Now, when something happens to you, you might feel offense. That might not be a choice, but remaining in that place, choosing to partner with that and stay there, that's a choice. Every time I choose to remain there, I'm choosing to be there. I think that often the case is that, and that might, if that feels a bit weird, I think it's because we get so, we've gotten so good at making that choice, we don't realize we're doing it anymore. We've all got buttons. Everyone's got buttons. And if someone presses that button, something's going to happen. Well, that's why I think it's impossible to be 100% unoffendable, because the more you go through life, the more you try and push yourself forward and try new things, the more you meet new people, you're going to find those buttons that you didn't know were there before. But we do have a choice about what happens and what we do when that button gets pressed. When, so when Jesus returned to his hometown, what happened? He taught in the synagogue and the people noticed his rapid acceleration. He's completely changed from how they saw him before. Isn't this Joseph's son? In their mind, he should still be the carpenter. They were witnessing acceleration that they, didn't, they just didn't have a grid for at all. And it offended them. And what I've realized is that we often see someone else's acceleration as a reminder, a bit like it's being rubbed in our face, of our own lack of apparent lack of acceleration. That's when we get offended. But actually, we're seeing it all wrong. Their their breakthrough is meant to be your breakthrough. And then you will be that breakthrough for someone else. In this case, an entire city missed out on God's purpose for them. Which is actually insane when you think about it. I remember when, um, again, when I was 
at Bethel, the first time I heard people talk about being drunk in the spirit. And I remember that was something that I found difficult initially. And I remember we were on our way, me and some friends, um, we were in a, like, they have like small groups that you break out into once a week. And there was like five of us in the car and we were driving away from church to go to um, one of our houses to do our small group. And everyone was talking about it. It was, everyone was talking about it in the car. And everybody was like, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this. This does not feel good to me. And they, eventually, I was just sat there quietly. And then they go, what do you think, Dave? And I remember saying to them, I don't know what I think right now. I'm not sure. But I do know this. When I came to Bethel, I made a choice. I remember thinking to myself, I'm coming here because I trust Bethel. I'm choosing to trust them. Otherwise, why am I bringing my whole family here? That feels irresponsible. I'm choosing to trust them. And I came here to get something. And I'm not going to leave without getting what I came for. And because of that, I'm going to trust them through this. I'm going to choose to trust that even though I can't understand this right now, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, I'm going to choose to trust them about it. Now, why, why did I do that? Well, so earlier on in that journey, I'd made a conscious decision to allow my thinking to be influenced by a group of people that I'd chosen to trust. And I decide, I'd made that decision. So for me, it was, I was approaching it different to how I would have done before. It was really the strength of that trust and that kind of relationship that was empowering me to make a different choice in the, whilst in the middle of something that didn't feel amazing at the time. It was enabling me to make a different choice. It was a relational thing. And so from that point on, every time I encountered something that was maybe going to push one of my buttons, I evaluated it against that commitment that I'd made. I was like, I've made a commitment. I'm going to be here for a year, two years. I'm going to trust them through this time. The funny thing is, we're really great at excusing our our offense. We're really good. We say, I can't believe they did this to me. I can't believe they said that to me. I can't believe this person did that without me. It's always to me. We're making ourselves like just completely powerless victims. And if we, decide, if we define ourselves in these terms, then we will become powerless. We're rendering ourselves powerless when it's actually completely not true at all. You know, the Bible has some amazing examples of what happens when you choose to not partner with offense. There are some great examples there. And what happens is, you notice with those people, they got to experience the kingdom in completely new ways. Think about Elisha and Naaman. Naaman was really offended with the idea that Elisha wouldn't even come and talk to him and told him to get into the stinkiest river everyone, anyone knew about. Seven times. Don't get in that stinky river once. Get in it seven times. Get yourself covered with all the sludge and everything. But his servants, who he had a relationship with, and he trusted, they talked to him and they, they reasoned with him. And they enabled him to rethink that decision. And he got healed. And as Jesus has later said, there were many people with leprosy in those days who did not get healed. And he did. Think about Jesus at the wedding in Cana. Turning that water into wine. 
Again, that could have been something that the disciples were offended by because that, that's not what you're expecting the Messiah to do. Enable people at a wedding they'd been at for like three days to get even more alcohol inside them. Let's, let's not go all there right now. But, but if they did, they could have stopped following him then. But perhaps one of the, perhaps one of the most shocking examples is when Jesus told people to drink his blood. <laughs> if that isn't going to offend people, then, then they're, they're, they are pretty close to being unoffendable, I'd say. Many people walked away from Jesus at that point. Many people. But the 12 didn't. And why? They just knew. They go, you have the words of eternal life. And because of that, what did he do with those 12 people? He completely changed history. Completely changed history. Let's think about the opposite briefly. When people, when people have, in the Bible, when they have reacted in offense, Judas. When, when um, Judas talks about the waste of money, when he's talking about the perfume. Do you know what happens right after that? Right after that, he betrayed Christ. Now, I'm not, this is pure speculation, but I wonder if that, maybe that moment of offense, could that have been the tipping point in his life? Could that have been a moment that resolved his heart to be like, right, I'm not, I'm not okay with these guys and I'm going to go do this thing? And sometimes the reason we're offended is because someone's actions are actually revealing something about ourselves. With Judas, it was his greed. Perhaps me with Chuck Parry, it was revealing that I had so, such a small perception compared to him of what the kingdom looks like. That's what, that was what was rubbing up against me. I had God in a box. Often the thing that we're most offended by can be the thing that we need most. I think that's where it's his strategy. Offense will many times make you push away the very people God has actually put in your life to give you breakthrough that you need. And not only do you miss out then, but the whole body does. Because Psalm 133 says about the unity, the, the unity causes the anointing to flow. I can guarantee that we will all be tested in this area. And I know we all have. I've got kind of, I'm going to have to go through these quickly, but I've got four ways that I've kind of noticed that, four ways that can help you to guard yourself against offense. So the first one of those is recognize where there's life. Everybody, I would would guess that everybody in this room is here because you came here one time or you encountered Eastgate at one time and you felt something. You felt something. You felt God's presence. You felt his love. It's life. You have felt that the life of God is in this place. Listen, value that. Listen to your spirit, not just your head. There will be opportunities to feel hurt, but the life of God is here. Remember that and value that. Second thing I'd say is listen to the people that you once decided to trust. Even if you might be disagreeing with stuff that they're saying right now or stuff they're doing right now, if they've been people who are rocks in your life for years, it might just... Trusting them in the midst of something might just be the thing that stops you making a big mistake. Just like Naaman. Stay true to those commitments you made. 
That's, that's really the power of covenant. It holds us together through those situations. It's the only type of relationship that has the power to transcend circumstance. Another thing I'd say, number three, is rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoicing is the catalyst for releasing the power of the testimony in your life. The Bible says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So if that's true, what's going to happen when you celebrate somebody else being promoted or somebody else being given something that you wanted? What's that going to do? It's going to release it in your life as if it's your own. Celebrate their victories like they're your victories. It's easier said than done, maybe. And I know that I, you know, I haven't always been able to do that authentically. But just keep doing it until it becomes real. Keep doing it. If it feels... What I've realized with... With one thing I've discovered with the kingdom is that often we expect things to feel really spiritual. Often the things that really we need to be doing, they don't feel spiritual at first because we're so far away from it. Just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and then you will actually realize how spiritual it is. And the last thing I'd say is go out of your way to honor those you're tempted to be offended by. Like, that's what I did with Chuck. And I really think that when that happens, the body of Christ will become like a super organism where honor just flows through it. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, where it says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That word rejoices, actually, the Greek is sin kairos, which means to mutually share in the grace. Do you want to just close your eyes for a minute? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, you're releasing your grace right now. You're releasing your grace in the room right now. Thank you, Father. I I just feel like there are people in the room right now who are, are holding on to disappointment, You're holding on to disappointment and the Lord just says to let go right now. Let go of that disappointment right now in Jesus' name and forgive those people. You need to forgive those people right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And there are some of you that I feel like you're carrying an old offense. Wow. And you didn't even realize you've been carrying it. You've been carrying it for so long. You didn't even realize you've been carrying it. Wow, thank you, Jesus. Just right now, if that's you, I want you to, in your mind, I want you to just literally, as if that, if that, as if that offense is a box in front of you, I want you to just go and, I want you to actually, as a prophetic act, pick up that box and just put it away. Just put it away, put it far away from you. Throw it far away from you. And as you do that, just consciously let go of that thing. And the Lord is just going to open your eyes right now. He's going to enable you to see beyond that. He's going to enable to... It's like that offense has been a brick wall that has been blocking you from seeing right all this time. And he's actually just going to open your eyes right now so you can see beyond that offense and see those people as as they are. See their hearts through it. So, Father, right now, I just release unity. I release breakthrough. I release healing right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. And I'll just say this. I'll just leave it like with this. That if, if there's someone in your life who you can tell, even if it's just on a really subtle, deep down level, you can tell there's something where, you know what? Since that thing that happened a while ago, it's not been quite right between us. I would encourage you, this is the week. Make it right. Make it right. Reach out to them this week. Make that thing right. Honestly, it's going to change your life. It's been holding you back. It's been holding your life back. And now, actually, you are going to get released into a new season. The Lord is releasing you into a new season of breakthrough. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.